Welcome to The Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. Welcome to The Politics Guys, the podcast taking you deeper into this week's politics one story at a time. I'm Trey Orndorff, and it's wonderful to be back on the show this week. I'm joined, as always, by the interesting Jay Carson, who I might add got a huge social media response for last week's show. So, Jay, we're going to have to see if we can match the controversy of last week. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Well, I, I, I had no intention to uh, generate controversy, but uh, uh, we take it as it comes. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's always interesting, the things that will and will not get the, uh, the big responses back. I've said things sometimes, and I think, I'm surprised that nobody had a bigger pushback on that. And then other times you think, I, that's the thing? But anyway, we'll, we'll have to see if right. we can we'll hit any of those buttons. Um, so Jay, I thought we might lead off this week talking a little bit uh, about Trump and his changes to the payments in Obamacare, the Affordable uh, uh, Health Care Act cost sharing reductions. Um, basically, these were subsidies uh, that were going to kind of make health care under the Affordable Health Care Act cheaper for lower income people. And Trump has basically called this a bailout of insurance com- companies, and he thinks it's unlawful. As a matter of fact, he sees this as being Democrats because there's not actually a legislative component to this as just right. being a massive subsidy. What do you think about this? And well, and I, what do you think going to move forward? Yeah, I, I would say, um, first of all, it doesn't so much matter what I think about it. Um, I, I mean, I, I think the the courts uh, so far that have looked at this have agreed that it, it is um, in all likelihood unconstitutional, but have stayed enforcing that that order uh, pending, you know, the idea that some Congress is going to get something worked out. Um, now that Congress hasn't, uh, Trump is is taking that step. Um, which again, if you if you if you believe that you know it's unconstitutional, then that's the appropriate thing to do. Um, but there's but there's something else he's doing too that I think we should talk about, and that is changing rules as far as what uh, plans insurers can sell. And allowing uh, short-term uh, insurance plans, which had been prohibited under rule by uh, by Obamacare. Now, um, do, you, do you think that one of the things that I've been reading and looking at this is I had wondered. Oftentimes, when we get on the show and we talk about some moves by Trump, they seem to be a little out of left field. They seem to be a little bit gut response. But in some ways, this might actually be a positive for Republicans in the legislature, because if Democrats want to make a a legislative fix to this, Republicans now have a bargaining chip. Well, not only that, I think what's what's interesting, I mean, this demonstrates uh, sort of the the upside and downside of of governing by executive order. Uh, So much of what was in the Affordable Care Act was left to the discretion of the Department of Health and Human Services, uh, and this was a big complaint about it at the time, uh, was that it was extremely vague as to what was actually going to happen and assigned all this rulemaking authority uh, to the department, uh, essentially the president, the administration, uh, to to you know write in all the details as far as what insurers can and can't do. Um, uh, in order to get this passed, you know, through the Democratic Congress, uh, you know, President Obama uh, and and the uh, Congress drafted it that way. Um, and now it's sort of, you, you you know, you live by the pen, you die by the pen. Uh, so the Trump administration uh, is now rolling back and rewriting those changes. Now, that was something that was sort of already going to be in the works. Uh, I think 
if if a broader health reform deal had been possible, uh, the Republicans much w- would rather have uh, put this stuff into statute as opposed to leaving it in rule where it can be changed by uh, the next administration. Um, but you know, it's sort of you, you have the choices that you have. <laughs> it's sort of you right. know, Plan A failed, so uh, this is Plan B. And to the extent it wasn't already going to be be happening, but some some of this stuff would would. I think rightfully uh, go into administrative rulemaking. Other, I think, is is closer to bigger policymaking that should be done by Congress. And that's not to say that um, there's a lack of authority or something like that for HHS, HHS to do this. Um, I just think it it you know be better uh, done by Congress. Um, but go ahead. No, and that's an interesting point. I mean, it's one of the things that I often talk to students about when you talk about the relationship between Congress and the legislative branch is that the modern presidency is far more powerful, not just because the modern presidency, as time has gone on, has slowly accumulated executive precedent, but also because Congress has ceded a lot of the things that you would imagine to be legislative to the president. And the upside, and there's always these short-term upsides for Congress, which is is then they don't have to be the bad guy. They're not the ones changing or creating the rule. But the... The flip side of that is is when it's housed entirely, as you noted, it with the stroke of the pen. Well, it just takes a stroke of a pen to undo it. So it's it's far more potentially temporary, depending on how your elections play out. Yeah, and also I would say it's it's much less transparent. Oh, um, for sure. You know, again, there's there's an administrative processes that that are you know Administrative Procedure Act where you change rules and you have a uh, what's called a comment period and so forth. Um, but, but it's, it's not the same as a, a legislative debate on this. And, and it, it, you know, the, the criticism of this is, yeah, it, it's fairly undemocratic. Um, it, uh, there's, there's completely understandable reasons why you assign things to, um, <clears throat> administrative agencies as we live in a more complex world. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, yeah, you, you live by the pen, you die by the pen. The, the big thing that I think that Trump is doing here though, um, if, if you look back to what Obamacare promised, the, the reasons that it was supposed to be implemented, uh, there were a couple. And one had to do with uh, the fear that uh, someone who is uninsured uh, has something catastrophic befall them. Uh, they get some, some terrible disease, they get run over by a bus, something like that that is a tremendous uh, expense, and uh, they are bankrupted by it. Mm-hmm. And, and we were, were inundated, you know, when when the Democrats were seeking to to pass Obamacare with this, you know, stories about how, you know, the biggest driver of bankruptcy are, are these medical claims. Um, and the, the idea behind all this being people could reasonably be responsible for their own health care for your, you know, colds and flu and, and, and sprained ankles and, and those types of, of, of uh, medical needs. Um, and that those people who were, were in, in dire need, uh, the the ones who were you know the poor, the the uh, you know chronic conditions and so forth, uh, typically would would will qualify for uh, Medicaid, uh, Medicare, or have some other subsidy, or be have access to like a high risk pool or something like that. Um, so you know that was that was the the rationale behind Obamacare. Uh, the other piece of it was uh, hospitals um, were were very much the the party that was hit most with the the burdens of, of some of this this other care of uninsured care it typically the fell to hospitals cases, yep. 
yeah, people show up in the emergency room and you have to treat them. And and again, this is, you know, Democrats typically have made the argument. Um, it's almost not fair with Mike not on here. Um, <laughs> you can yell at me next week. No, but, uh, you know, people go untreated, people die, yada, yada, yada. Um, yeah, I, th- I, mean, I think that, you take that you hadn't been task on that phrase right there. I'm just. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, that, you know, that hadn't been happening in the past. What happens is people were treated. It's just a matter of where you assign that, uh, the cost for that. And it, it had been falling on hospitals to a large part. Uh, and, and they were not unsurprisingly, and, and you can't blame them, um, uh, interested in, in moving people to, you know, shifting that cost to someone else, be it uh, private insurers or the government. Well, and and to be fair with that argument, I mean, the other part of it is, is there is geographic and uh, um, unequal distribution of that on hospitals as well, right? Your location in large part right. can determine your ability to then service how many you're having. So for instance, you know, here in my area, in uh, the Daytona Beach area, that's a, that's a much more massive number uh, than other places. You know, what, what um, Obama, so it was sort of a long way of, of getting to... Uh, what the new rules will do will sort of put back in place uh, remedies that that would have addressed those issues, and and that is a return to allowing people to buy a sort of bare bones coverage for catastrophic uh, injuries, um, and, and also allowing folks who are between jobs to buy uh, part time um, or or short term insurance plans, uh, which used to be under the rules. Well, prior to Obamacare rules, you could buy them for a year. Uh, the idea is you're between jobs. Uh, COBRA coverage is too expensive. You don't really need full coverage. Again, if you're reasonably healthy uh, and and your concern is, is what happens if something catastrophic happens, they're affordable uh, and can, can keep you, uh, tide you over till you get that next job or qualify for some other insurance. Um, and Obamacare had gotten rid of those. Uh, one reason was, I think, to, to drive people into the exchanges uh, because that would be a good option <laughs> other than an exchange. Well, then you want um, to increase your pool, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so so those those are, uh, to me, I think are, are some really pretty big changes. And it's going to allow people to have more choice uh, in what they want to do with um, uh, with their insurance. Uh, and. I, I mean, I don't know where, where you are on this. I mean, my sense is we're probably more or less on the same page. Yeah, well, I mean, I, th- I think we're on a similar page. We're not going to have probably a giant argument. I mean, the one thing that I think is a little bit, pro- the potentially problematic thing here that maybe we might disagree about a little bit is going to be, uh, I'm, I'm always a little bit leery. You know, we were talking about the stroke of the pen. I'm leery of presidents attempting to kind of force congressional change. Um, so in this case, I, you know, it's one thing to say, hey, Congress needs to get something done. It's another to make changes that you think might very well kind of implode what's currently happening. So to the, ex- I mean, if that's the intent here, I have some trouble with that. Um, you know, in other words, try to create a situation in which you have to repeal. Sure, try, try and do, trying to drive a crisis yeah. when, when there isn't one. Now, now, again, most conservatives would, would argue, and uh, me among them, that there already there already is a, a crisis um, in that so many of these uh, counties you're down to one company that is on the exchange. Um, the prices have increased uh, dramatically uh, for those people in the exchanges. And if the whole idea was we're going to get you into this new insurance market, you're going to have more choices. 
it, it, it hasn't worked. And what it's done, and I think the numbers bear this out, the, the biggest expansion has not been in these folks buying private insurance through an exchange, but rather expansion of, of Medicaid. Yeah. Um, and, and, and as we kind of continue this conversation about what kind of Trump and the Democrats and some and moves moving forward, I think we need to probably move to our first sponsor, Brooklinen. Yes. I don't know about you, Jay. You have Brooklinen sheets, don't you? I do. And, and I love them. It's, this, Trey, this is, you're, you're a little bit younger than I am. There, there is something about, you know, you get to a certain age and uh, you feel sort of like more of a grown up when you start getting grown up products, like caring about your sheets. Uh, as uh, Mike points out, you spend a whole lot of your time um, uh, of your life uh, in, in bed, and maybe you don't think about it, but but you do, and and that uh, you want to have quality time. So, uh, Brooklinen is a a uh, fantastic way uh, to do that. Uh, it, it gives you a luxury um, a product at what is really an affordable price. So, um, I I am all for it. Uh, I love Brooklinen sheets. Can't uh, can't recommend them enough. Well, good. And I think that you need to try these sheets so that you'll know that you're going to love them too. And at brooklinen.com, you've got an exclusive offer just for Politics Guys listeners. You're going to get $20 off and free shipping when you use the promo code TPG at brooklinen.com. In fact, Brooklinen is so confident that you'll love their new sheets that they offer a risk-free 60-night satisfaction guarantee and and a lifetime warranty on all their sheets and comforters. So there is no reason not to give these sheets a try. The only and, and way- I'll also point out it's you have a whole a whole a whole uh, range of colors patterns uh, that that you're going to love and it's it's uh, luxury bedding underpriced and you got to try them. Well, and the only way to get those and to get the $20 off and the free shipping is to use the promo code TPG at brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com. Promo code TPG. Brooklinen. These are the best sheets ever, and you know it because Jay just told you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so now that we're sleeping better, which is actually, I mean, you know, we, we, we tease about that, but it is important. I mean, I'm a yeah. guy who runs, I run half marathons and I'm training for a try. So trust me, you want to, you know, you want to sleep well. Um, but, uh, you know, we've been talking about Obama and kind of the moves with uh, the subsidies and the Affordable Health Care Act. But there was kind of another big Democrat Trump moment. And that was this week, Trump uh, sending a letter indicating to Congress what are the things that he's going to want in order to kind of finalize a deal, uh, making permanent the Dreamers move that he and he has you know put put on life support at this juncture? Uh, and mm-hmm. this has been interesting. It's been a really interesting story. Trump has kind of you know he bypassed a few weeks ago Republicans and started working with Democrats, which ruffled a lot of people's feathers. Shocking. And now he is kind of sending in stone. Here are the things that I'm going to have to have if, if we're going to move forward on, on a Dreamers deal. And the big central one was he's coming back to it again. I mean, it was a campaign promise was the wall, right? He wants a wall. He wants a wall. And, you know, it is this. this OK, again, just just so listeners understand, I am against the wall. However, however, it is fascinating to me how often people will listen to presidential candidates and congressional candidates who are running and you know they are saying the same 
thing on their prompt, three or four things. Like, this is what I'm going to do. And everybody goes, they don't really mean that. And then you get into office, everybody's shocked. They're like, you know, he's still pushing for the wall. I'm thinking, of course he's pushing for the wall. That was his, <laughs> his central campaign theme. You know, I, I, it's, I think what's surprising is that people find it surprising that he continues to bring this up. Yeah. Nevertheless, no, I, I think here that's, it that's, is. Yeah, well, he's, he has um, made some, some comments uh, after, you know, there was the, the, the sit down with uh, Chuck and Nancy, as he calls them. Um, you know, about, well, we're going to get the wall eventually. Um, and, and there was maybe this idea that, okay, we'll move forward with something on, on dreamers, but eventually I'm going to get my wall. Um, you know, my, my sense of this is that, um, well, well, first thing, you know, going back to a month or so ago where we, he had the the sit down and announced that he would uh, work with Democrats. I don't know how much he was actually working with them as opposed to, it was just a sit down and a photo op. Uh, and, and he sort of said, I'm, I'm not against, uh, uh, you know, keeping the, the dreamers here. Um, but, but then he sort of, you know, realized, you know, he had sort of given away all his ground. And I think this is Trump, Trump in, you know, Trump negotiating mood, uh, mode, uh, you know, he asked for everything and see what they come back with and, and, um, uh, you know, get the best deal you can, uh, which is, which is again, one of those reasons I, I think a lot of people, even if they, they didn't, um, expect the wall or, or were, were realistic about his ability to fulfill that campaign promise. Uh, I think there was still a sense of a lot of people voted for Trump in the idea that he was going to be, uh, a, a tougher and better negotiator, uh, with mm-hmm. the Democrats. And so far that, that hasn't panned out, but it, it remains to be seen. Um, my, my concern is, well, I mean, I- Oh, go ahead. I, I think that in some ways, though, I mean, he is a tougher, if you will, negotiator. But the idea that you can always like, I think there might be a disconnect in what people want and what's the most effective. So being sure. a tougher negotiator, I actually would argue he, he probably is. But I think that's probably a less effective presidential strategy. Well, my my sense though is it doesn't matter if you're going to be a really tough negotiator uh, if you're not going to get anything done at the end of the day. Um, politics is there's, I mean, business is like this too, I suppose. But there there's a timing to to things, uh, and there are windows that open and close. And uh, you know, in business, you can you can sort of walk away from a deal and then uh, you know maybe come back six months, eight months later. And the deal is still there, uh, or the other party is still willing to negotiate. Um, politics, because it's so fluid, isn't always like that. Uh, the Democrats you're dealing with now may not be the Democrats you're dealing with uh, next year. Um, and I, I don't mean in terms of change of personnel. I mean in terms of uh, oh. they're going to have the uh, their eyes towards the their election uh, rather than getting something done. And 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 there's there's sort of a window where. Um, you know, Democrats are are better having the issue than they are having the the solution. And, and I, I should say that that would apply to both parties. Um, well, you saw so that. I, that's, I mean, you that's saw that at concern. the end of President Obama's uh, term, right? You have Republicans sure. who, in many, they had how many repeal votes, and no no one honestly thought those were going through, but it gave them beautiful leverage for coming back to their districts. Well, I mean, actually, you can go back to the Obama uh, administration uh, in uh, um, 
uh, 2000, uh, well, 2000, well, no, just before, um, I'm sorry, back up before President Obama was, was president, uh, there were most likely enough votes to fix the dreamer problem. Um, uh, but it was, it was sort of scuttled by none other than Senator Obama, uh, who were Democrats, hey, let, let's, let's stick tough and uh, we're not going to give in piecemeal on, on winning this issue. Uh, rather, we want immigration as a whole as an issue. I had uh, so I think Trump, right. Trump runs that, yeah. Um, uh, Trump runs a risk of, uh, uh, now, and now again, that's not to say it all would have worked out because uh, George W. Bush was, was okay with it, but he was getting a lot of, of heat from the right. Um, but regardless, I, I think there is, is often a time when um, uh, one party will, will change, will, will trade the issue for actual a solution. And the closer you get to an election, the more and more that takes, takes hold. So I guess that's, that's my concern is, you know, if Trump wants to deal with the Democrats, great, but they may not want to, to have a deal with him. And I pointed this out with, with Mike and I were, had the show and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago that that's why you have to go with to your own party first and find out what votes you have to do what before you try to, to deal with the other side. Well, and it's true. And, and you know, you make a really interesting point about the, the differences between business bargaining and political bargaining in that you've got very different bases, you know, and you have different timelines. And, and it's something I think maybe that Mike and I, maybe as political scientists might take a little bit for granted. That's the model that we kind of always have running around in our heads because that's the world we kind of exist in. But you're right. There's going to be a very different kind of business world model where things can, that's, I had not thought about it that way before, Jay. Yeah, I mean, I mean, again, this is something that in in my uh, regular life I do pretty frequently. And you know, you you come together with somebody, hey, here's a deal. We can can we do this? Can we can't do this? And you you know, it falls apart. And you say, okay, you people walk away. Um, and and there's no, I don't want to say there's no hard feelings because sometimes there 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 are, but but it it's not as if there's always the incentive not to have a deal, which I think is something that's present in politics. Uh, that you don't see in, in the rest of the world. And and Democrats are under incredible pressure. Keep in mind, any, I mean, the because they have, have gone with the Trump is the devil sort of narrative, um, any, it, it makes it that much more difficult for anyone to to try to make a deal. Uh, and, and you even saw that after uh, the initial sit down, um, there were, were folks on the left who were protesting uh, you know, not to not to give in. What they want is sort of a full amnesty for everybody, open borders, yada yada yada. But um, which, by the way, you know, I'm on that. I'm on board with that. <laughs> but continue. <laughs> um, no, but I mean, you know, the, the Nancy Pelosi. I mean, got an earful back in her own district uh, for sitting down with with Trump. Right. So, you know, I, I I guess my sense is if there's something that could be done, that that'd be great because it does seem to be that the the Dreamers are an area that uh, enjoy broad public support um, uh, and broad support even within the Republican Party. Uh, I think most Republicans, the last poll numbers I saw, it was somewhere in the, the range of 65, 75 uh, percent would, would say uh, there you know, ought to be some sort of exception, road to citizenship, whatever you want to call it uh, for them. Um, uh, and, and Democrats, it's, it's even higher. Uh, but uh, I'm, you know, I, I don't know whether whether he'll be able to get that, get that done. Uh, I, I, you can't fault him for asking for more stuff. No. Um, but, but, 
I, I, I would be concerned if he just kills the deal and uh, nothing happens. Well, I mean, ultimately, at some point here, Republicans, Trump in general, they've got to pass some kind of legislation where they are going to have the worst midterm shellacking that has happened in the history of mankind because you're going to have the president, you're going to have Congress, and you're going to have you know zero bill. And I don't mean zero in the sense that nothing is passing Congress at all. But none of the high-profile things, if none of them can get done, that's a difficult sell. Yeah, it's a yeah. very difficult sell. Yeah, and I know both of I both of us have worked on uh, campaigns, and so we know how hard of a sell that is. Um, well, why don't we move forward, Jay? And because there was another huge story this week, and we're going to need to probably spend some time on this one, and that one is Harvey Harvey Weinstein. Um, yeah, so. You know, it feels like there's this recurring theme when you talk about politics that we have to talk about sex, too. So just a just a heads up for our listeners. You know, we're not going to try to get um, you know creepy or anything above PG here, but we are going to be talking about, you know, a guy who has done some creepy things. Uh, and there's a reason for it. So we we finally have this big New York Times and New Yorker story that uh, stories, I should say, that come out about Weinstein. He's a big guy in Hollywood. Um, maybe I don't know for some of our listeners, maybe a Hollywood type. Uh, and um, if I say Hollywood, do you know what I'm talking about, Jay? I have no idea what you're talking about. No. Oh my goodness. Oh, okay. So <laughs> you. Okay. So uh, you're gonna have to watch uh, BoJack Horseman, uh, and then you'll understand Hollywood. And uh, the critique of uh, Hollywood. So, listeners, if you haven't already, you, you should. It's a depressive show that you should not watch with any of your children, and take it from a guy with three kids. Uh, but you know, put your headphones in and go watch BoJack Horseman on Netflix. Anyway, uh, back to Weinstein. He has been forever in a day uh, harassing women, uh, specifically involving getting into bathrobes, getting people to come to his hotel room for meetings, and there he is in a bathrobe and making creepy requests for massage and baths. Uh, and so, I mean, that's, that's okay. What does that have to do with politics? Well, here's why. Uh, the New York Times called it, quote, the worst kept secret, unquote, because there was no journalistic outfit really willing to nail the details and hit publish. Uh, and they also noted... And that, and that I, 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 the big point to me is that includes the New York Times, uh, well, who had a, big, a story prepared one, about this years ago. And yeah. Well, the biggest one was NBC. So, yeah. because, you know, NBC, the, the channel that nailed Bill O'Reilly, they have for the last nearly two years um, had a guy named Ronan Farrow was doing a, uh, in-depth reporting on this. And they continually shut the story down. So uh, Pharaoh actually says, well, screw you, NBC. And he walks over to the New Yorker and says, I've got this. And they say, yeah, let's publish this. And so, so here's why we're going to talk about on the politics, guys. Uh, I don't always uh, talk about uh, GQ, but I think Drew Magri from the GQ actually summed it up perfectly. He says that, look, Hillary Clinton was shocked and appalled. President Obama was disgusted. But everybody in the DNC was taking money from and is not calling out until they absolutely had to, Harvey. Why? Because he was a huge, huge backer for lots and lots of Democrats. And he, he says, look, they're giving it back now, but Democrats are never going to move forward in a meaningful way as long as they're taking it. Now, he's taking a shot just at Dems, but I think we want to talk about this in a, in a broader sense. You know, 
money, political money, where it comes from. And well, Jay, what do you think about all that? Well, yeah, I think, you know, the, the, the story is fascinating for a, a lot of reasons. And, and yes, there was a lot of on the right sort of a, a schadenfreude uh, uh, that we're sort of, sort of celebrating that, uh, you know, this has been called out. And the, the other thing is, Trey, I mean, it's, as you said, worst kept secret, um, you know, the papers have pointed, there were various jokes about this uh, on on shows from, you know, 30 Rock to um, jokes at the the Oscars to, I mean, yeah. it's it's sort of everybody, you know, every, everybody knew, but nobody knew. And and that's, that's uh, troubling. And to me, it's not even so much um, the, the idea of, of, well, do you know, and, and, you know, what duty do you have then to... Uh, to report the wrongdoings of someone else if it hasn't happened to you. It's just something you heard about. Um, but but it's the hypocrisy of of Hollywood. And this is something that, that drives uh, folks on the rights uh, right batty. Um, and that they're they're always willing to to lecture uh, the rest of the country on on you know what's good and right and proper and so forth. Uh, but but yet are, are also not willing to stand up uh, uh, to to want to say now, I think the the response that I hear from the left is, "What about Trump? What about Trump?" Um, and I think, yeah, exactly. I mean, Trump's Trump's been accused of 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 doing similar things. Not, uh, I don't want to say that there's a, um, you know, it, it's just like we we count up we count up how many uh, uh, you know claims are made against him and so forth, but uh, not not on the level of Weinstein. And I think we should also point out that some of these these allegations against Weinstein, and they still are just allegations at this point. Um, are are not just creepy, but are are criminal, are are rape, are are gross sexual imposition, mm-hmm. are that kind of thing. Um, it, it's it's not just uh, again being a being a cad, uh, being being a creep. Um, so uh, you know, and I think Jonah Goldberg had a, a great piece, um, uh, National Review uh, earlier this week, saying, "Listen, it's time to if 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 you're only outraged." Um, when it's somebody on the other side that this happens to, uh, then then you kind of need to reexamine your your moral compass. Um, point. Uh, many conservatives were yeah were rightfully outraged at, at the Trump stuff. Uh, um, uh, believe me, many Republicans <laughs> conservatives you know, would rather have had anyone else in the world as their nominee, uh, but didn't have that option. Um, so I, I think that is the, the I don't know. I, I guess that's. That's my my hope is that this is something everyone can agree is is outrageous and should be condemned regardless of where it comes from. The other the other piece that that made this a political story was last week before he was forced out of the Weinstein company. Um, Harvey Weinstein essentially mounted his defense when he uh, he brought up the NRA and Trump and yeah, yep. <laughs> and it was sort of the I'm not nearly uh, as bad as those guys. Right. Or, or it was the like, okay, you know, let's assume I did this stuff. Hey, I'm still against the NRA. Um, you know, I'm, I'm still one of you. I'm still on your side. Uh, and, and I mean, to some extent, I, I think that still carries some, some currency in, in a lot of circles. Um, you know, his, his defense was almost, look how much I gave to Democrats. <laughs> you yeah. can't convict me. Look how much I gave, you know. Uh, I mean, his money paid for those pink hats. Uh, you know, I don't know if that's exactly. Well, you know, he he paid for the pink hats, but, but understand that, that his, that that's the direction that, uh, uh, the money was, was flowing. I mean, he gave over, um, I'm looking at business insider uh, reports, um, 
uh, a million and a half uh, to Hillary Clinton throughout her career, uh, 300,000 to the DNC. Um, those are just, you know, again, a couple quick numbers off the top of my head. Not even looking at President Obama, not even looking at bundling for super PACs. Right. Um, Which can be hard to you do. Know. So. Well, you know, and I'll, and I'll say that this, that in general, you know, I am a, uh, a libertarian who had you know, lean support to the right on, on many of my issues. But this is why, you know, over a year ago, I was just so furious with Republicans who were willing to go along with Trump. And you kind of pointed that out, right? I mean, because, guys, I don't, I mean, who cares if he can win or has the money? But when you lose that kind of, that legitimacy, I don't know where you go from there. And I, and I just, you know, I recognize this makes me probably impossible to be elected. And that's why I'm talking on a politics guy, uh, guy's podcast with a PhD instead of, you know, running for office somewhere. But I just can't get behind the idea that you have to deal with some of this just morally corruptness to move forward. And I'm just even on my on the side that I'm I have worked my life for, you know, and I just it's you, horrible. No, you I, you are, and I've I've worked in uh, uh, politics for quite a while, and it, it attracts some some unsavory characters, and. It's, and Mm-hmm. Sometimes it is it is difficult to realize. Look, if you want to be part of the process, you unfortunately uh, are, have to interact with those unsavory characters. And I guess the extent to which which you interact with them is is up to you. I mean, again, some people do it better than others, and I think there were probably some people who would. Uh, there may have been many Democrats who you know who have said, "Hey, Harvey, Harvey wants to throw you a fundraiser," and they said, "No thanks." Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, and, and I know there are. You know, Republicans who who do that sort of thing of look, I'm not going to take money from from this person, this group. I don't want to be associated with that. Um, and I guess, I guess again, the the funny thing is even with with uh, um, uh, Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama, it's not even they they associated and took money. It was they they actively you know praised him. Right. Know, that again, that's Obama, the problem. You know, yeah. You know, they had him at the White House and. You know, uh, he's 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 not again. Well, this is a guy who just happened to give to our campaign. Uh, he was uh, well, and you know, you uh, can you know, respect that fan. more. You remember back when um, there was pimping for Paul and the uh, the uh, the pro- oh the Bunny Ranch, I think it was in Nevada, was sending money to uh, Ron Paul, and people said, "Well, you got to give it back." And he basically said, "Look, I'm not supporting that, but I'm not going to send their money back." I could have, yeah. I can accept that, right? If you can just say, look, I get it. That's where it came from. I'm going to use it. But you're right. That, it's that level of praise when you make that next, that next step. But as we talk more about that, we should probably first talk about Bombfell, um, which is an easier way for men to get better clothes. I don't know about you, Jay. I actually, I'm an unusual kind of guy. I like clothes. Sh- I, I, there's a way I want to look um, when I venture out. Uh, but it's problematic. It's difficult. It takes time. And if you came with shoe shopping with me, you would get tired long before I ever bought any shoes if I bought any at all, because that's how picky I am. So Bombfell does it differently. What you do is you're going to complete a simple questionnaire, and then you're matched to a personal stylist one-on-one who will email you their selections, after which you'll have 48 hours to look them over, make changes, cancel all together. It's completely your call. Then when you get your clothes, you have seven days to tell Bombfell what you want to keep and you just send back the rest. 
It's completely flexible. You get close when you want, pause or cancel at any time. Bombfell never charges above retail price and they offer free shippings and returns. If you're skeptical, and I get it, I was too. I'm the guy who likes to pick out my own clothes, but the clothes my Bombfell stylist picked out looked and fit perfectly. I kept everything and it has definitely upgraded my wardrobe, even a man who is picky as I am. So it was by far the easiest and most convenient clothes shopping experience I've ever had. But best of all, Bombfell's giving Politics Guys listeners a special offer. $25 off your first purchase. To take advantage of this, go to bombfell.com slash TPG. That's B-O-M-B-F-E-L-L dot com slash TPG. Bombfell. Open and close. So... Do we want to talk more about wine sign or is it time to shift gears, Jay? Um, we, well, you know, it, it's up to you. If you can, um, I, again, I think the, the Weinstein thing is, is fascinating for a lot of reasons and we could do a whole show just, just on that, but well, uh, I know there's other hit, stuff, there's other stuff going on. It's <laughs> true. It's true. I mean, I guess one of the other big items that I think, as a matter of fact, um, Michael, before he went on vacation, was pu- he was publishing this on our account about the big move about the Boy Scouts, enough so that I think all of us were kind of interested in taking it on. So for the listeners who might not know, uh, the Boy Scouts of America announced on Wednesday to accept girls, marking a historic shift in the century-old organization and has set off a huge debate. Um, and the debate, there's a lot of different questions about it. Uh, Fascinatingly enough, one of the first things that I noted was that apparently the Girl Scouts were really upset about this. I mean, I oh, guess I'd imagine. I mean, they have yeah. new competition, right? You know. Yeah. Um, but uh, they said that they felt a little blindsided, and they argued that uh, one of the the positives to having a Girl Scout organization, of course, is this opportunity to have kind of a different kind of safe space with uh, members of your own sex. Um, the Boy Scouts, on the other hand, basically said that they think that this could, they could nurture better kinds of relationships in a co-ed environment. And bonus, they think it's a more streamlined process, right? So if you got boys and girls, yeah. you can just drop them off at the same place. They're going to be doing the same things together as opposed to being segregated. What do you think about all this, Jim? Yeah. Um, well, I, you know, I think, I think probably a lot of listeners would expect me to to take the, the reaction that a lot of people did of, oh my gosh, it's political correctness run amok. Um, what's the world coming to? Uh, you can't even have Boy Scouts anymore. Uh, but but actually, I'm, I'm going to take the, the the contrary position. And I think there's a really good conservative argument to be made for what the Boy Scouts did. Uh, and that is that, look, the, the important word in um, uh, Boy Scouts isn't boy, it's, it's Scouts. And that's what... They're, they're looking for it. I, the Boy Scouts have traditionally been a, uh, I'll call it like a small C conservative uh, organization. I don't, so I, I don't mean that in a political sense of mm-hmm. uh, anything, but it, but it's sort of, it is what it is. And it, and it's, it has a, a sense and a, a purpose of preserving traditions, uh, preserving heritage of, 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 you know, hearkening back of these are the skills that, you know, our pioneer forefathers learned and, and helped them survive. And it's cool to keep that, keep that going. Um, and it's, there is a, and also a sense in the, the Boy Scouts. And I should say, I, I wasn't a Boy Scout. My sister was a Girl Scout and, and, uh, my, my three daughters have, have been through Girl Scout programs. Oh, fascinating. Um, yeah. Um, I bought a lot of cookies. Um, but, 
<laughs> but uh, uh, there was a sense that, you know, Boy Scouting is is to foster leadership. To fo- it, It's a different, um, uh, again, it, it harkens back to the sort of a 19th century ethos, I think. Um, uh, and, and in that sense, it's, it's conservative. Um, uh, Girl Scouts, uh, there, there is, I mean, at the upper echelons of that, a, a political thing going on. And I don't think it, it, you know, hits down to the, 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 you know, the troop uh, uh, level. But, um, but their national board has been, um, you know, uh, again, and, and I don't want to say liberal, but, but again, not that conservative. Um, uh, and I can find some articles we can post on that. But so, so I, so I look at, I look at this and saying. If the Boy Scouts are, you know, what they want to do is to preserve and spread uh, those values, uh, I think this is a great way to do it. Because what it's saying is those values are universal. Doesn't matter what your your sex or gender is. Um, it's it, it, these are these are values that are important for uh, for Americans. So I I think that's 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 great. And, and look, it allows uh, girls who might be more um, into activities that are more. Uh, outdoorsy, more wilderness, more survival, more, you know, than, than say the, you know, typical Girl Scout things. And not, and again, I don't want to, you know, get boxed in and because, um, you know, my kids have gone on plenty of Girl Scout camping trips and so forth. Um, but, uh, I, I think, I think it's a great alternative. And as you point out, there's also a, a practical reality to it. Right. There's a business model here. Uh, I mean, the Boy Scouts have had yeah. declining membership. And so, I mean, this is this this is a business move, right? So if you start being too niche of a product, you got to find a way to market it to a wider demographic to, to make up your revenues. Yeah. And I think the other thing that's that's interesting and important is the Boy Scout board voted on this. It was unanimous. Um. And that says something and, and their interest there. So they also, they want to expand this to, as you said, attracting families uh, into scouting. Um, and so I, I, all in all, I think it's, it's a good thing. Now the Girl Scouts, I, I can see it's, it's going to be a, uh, as you mentioned, more competition. Yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, my wife, she worked for the Boy Scouts uh, for a while uh, back when we were uh, undergraduates. And uh, it's, it was always interesting to kind of see the different models because there's actually, there's some other competing organizations. You know, it's fascinating. I, I had wondered what your position was going to be, Jay. And again, I I think that a private organization should be able to do whatever it wants to do, right? So, you know, if the Amen. Boy Scouts want to do boys and girls, if the girls, you know, that's, that's, that's the whole beauty of having private organizations. And if you think it's a, you think that's a failure. So for instance, there are, there have long been some competing organizations with the, uh, the Girl Scouts. And, you know, so if you don't like that, you can form your own and, and that's a wonderful thing. I mean, that's what you, you know, that's what we as libertarians and, and conservatives for the most part, we're going to agree on, you know, but you know, it is fascinating as a, as demographic wise to think, you know, there is, I think, some value to having space for kids where especially when you are in those particularly hormonal ages to have the 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 well i think maybe the girl scout said it kind of a safe space in that sense where you can kind of be a boy be a girl uh, but I recognize that's not perfect, and again, I'm not trying to tell the Boy Scouts what to do. But it is fascinating how, as we've moved into the into the to contemporary era, the idea it almost seems like it's considered a moral bad if you say, "Hey, look, 
this is going to be for men, this is going to be for women, this is going to be for girls, this is going to be for boys, this is going to be for African Americans. Like when you make those kinds of of right, when you make any kind of those those distinctions, yeah. Um, but I think I think it's worth pointing out that that the Boy Scouts uh, program, what they're talking about, uh, would still preserve that on a lot of different levels. Yes. Um, you know, this starting at the Cub Scout level, there would be sort of girls troops and boys troops and they would do joint activities and so forth. Uh, it's not a thing of, of, you know, you're just, you know, the high school uh, boys and girls, you know, camping together in the same tent kind of thing. Right. Right. There's that. I, I think, you know, we should we should point out that's not at all what they're, they're talking about. And that's they're a talking very about good opening point. Up the, uh, and and that there have been since the, the 70s. Uh, Boy Scout uh, affiliated programs that included girls, um, so it's it's not a a complete jump, but um, no, no, I'm I'm all I'm all for that. I, I think there's there's a, a benefit to having that uh, same sex um, uh, sort of I, I don't know what you want to call it, but because uh, no matter what yeah. we call it, we're going to get in trouble. There's this is this exactly. is where the controversy I, I almost, is I going like to occur. Into something I didn't want to. Yeah. Say, but, <laughs> but no, I'm. Look, I, I think there's 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 something to that, um, allowing those spaces for for boys to be boys and girls to be girls, um, but I, I think what the Boy Scouts are proposing is it would preserve that, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and still allow uh, the 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 idea of the you know joint enjoyment of you know the outdoor adventure, survival, wilderness, that kind of. With everybody. That kind of stuff, yeah. You know, and it's funny because this is another time where I would like the to Mike to be here because he actually, interesting for those who've been keeping up on social media, he kind of took the opposite approach. He kind of thought, he hoped that the Boy Scouts would remain for boys. I don't know if he read his, uh, his piece on that. Uh, but, so it's fascinating that, I don't know how many listeners would have, have imagined that you guys would have ended up flipping on that. Although I think, again, this is a private organization. So it's a whole... It's going to be very different, you know? So, well, I think we got one more story I'd like to hit, Jay, before we, uh, we continue forward. But before we do that, I ha- we got one more ad. We have ZipRecruiter. Uh, so I don't know if anybody out there is looking for great talent for your business, but I do know that if you have a business, even just what we do here for uh, ZipRecruiter, or sorry, for uh, politics guys, it takes time. Um, so you don't want to have to slog through huge stacks of resumes to find the perfect hire. You just need the right tools. You need smarter tools. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click. So you can rest easy knowing your job is being seen by the right candidates. Then ZipRecruiter puts its smart matching technology to work actively notifying qualified candidates about your job within minutes of your posting so you receive the best possible matches. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other hiring sites, ZipRecruiter does not depend on the right candidate finding you, it finds them. You can even get a head start on the interview process by adding screening questions to your job post to help identify the most qualified candidate. With all that, it's no wonder 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. And the easy-to-use ZipRecruiter dashboard lets you manage your hiring process from start to finish all in one place. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by uh, growing businesses of all sizes and industries to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, 
Politics Guys listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash PoliticsGuy. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash PoliticsGuy. One more time, to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash PoliticsGuy. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So as we talk about a little bit of that, uh, Jay, one of the interesting things that came out for me this week, so as listeners may know, if you've paid attention, my area is presidential politics, communication. Uh, I've written on that extensively. And so I couldn't get through the week without noting there was some big news about the Obama Foundation and its very unconventional approach to its presidential center and library. Uh, As we already know, we finally got a, a place for it in Chicago. It is going to opt to host a digital archive of presidential of President Barack Obama's records and not keep any of his hard copy manuscripts, letters, and other documents on site. This would mark a first time ever. So there's not going to be any thumbing through this. Um, instead, all of these things are going to be online in some capacity. So I mean, the upside of this is means you know anybody, listeners, me, you can kind of get it without going to Chicago. But a lot of people are curious about it because you know. How are you going to sift through this material? How are you going to make it available digitally? Is it going to be searchable? You know, how long will it take for it all to be there? Um, there's been a number of historians asking about this. As in a matter of fact, uh, according to the Tribune, at least, the physical records are currently in a private facility in Illinois, and they're going to be shipped to all kinds of different locations in and around Washington, D.C., where you may or may not ever be able to get your hands on them. So just kind of a fascinating mark for a president, you know, it's going to, this will be our first digital, uh, George, for uh, contrast, George W. Bush's libraries, there, there are hard copies. They are making digital copies of things, although it's going to take decades to get them all online. Uh, but you know, the manuscripts, everything is in fact there. I don't know if you have any thought. I don't know if you're interested in this, like I am Jay, but yeah, no, <laughs> I, find I, this I, fascinating. Am. I am. And again, this is a weird, and I, I can't even tell you exactly where it comes from. This is a, like just a, a funny thing in, in conservative uh, uh, DNA uh, is I like, I like books and I like paper and uh, uh, you know, I think there's, there's something to that um, to be able to say, this is the actual uh, historical document. Um, you know, for a lot of reasons, again, just one is it, it, like I said, maybe it's a weird, just aesthetic sort of, sort of thing. Uh, but second there, there is the idea that, you know, what it is there, you know, it's real. Um, you know, data can be manipulated, uh, things can get lost. Um, and I think that's, that's a, uh, I don't want to say a concern, but, but if you look forward, if you look at, if you look at what the, the purpose of a, a presidential library, uh, is, um, you know, and, and again, I, I can also see the side of, of, you know, having things dig- digitized, um, and having things all uh, electronic, uh, makes them more available in some sense. Um, but, uh, but, but it, it's always good to have the, the, the source documents somewhere where, you know, you can get them and where, where, you know, they're going to be, uh, maintained. Exactly. And you know, that's what the fascinating part to me, you know, when, when George, I guess the question is why, why not do that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, why not put them both together? I, that's the thing that's fast. I mean, yes, please heavens digitize them. Uh, but why wouldn't you also house them there in a systematic way? But, you know, this is interesting too. Well, even because- if it's if it's a space issue, we can't house them there. Then okay, then you get 
some other place to to physically house them. Yes, where you can have access. That to would them. be ac- accessible to scholars and so forth. Yeah, because you know it's fascinating. Just historically speaking, Clinton and George W. Bush they had both opted not. They sent almost no emails on purpose because they didn't know how they have to or need to be archived. Because one of the things I'd always wondered about with Barack Obama, you know, he had sent lots and lots of digital only material. And in many ways, he's one of the first presidents to do that. So, you know, I recognize that you're going to have a a lot of documents that are digital and only, in other words, they're original. Sure, that's that's the original form. Yeah. Yeah. So that's fascinating. And it kind of makes me wonder about, I mean, I know this is, we're talking way down the road, but eventually we're going to have Trump archives and even more of these things will be digital. I wonder if he'll opt to go a similar way or that's it's a fascinating look forward. And it, and it marks a shift with presidents that, you know, even just right now with uh, President Trump, you know, he sometimes keeps tweets. He sometimes, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, Jay, where he was deleting tweets, you know, after after the right. uh, the uh, he didn't get his oh my goodness now I'm gonna blank the the, the election oh the oh the uh, the, uh, the the Alabama uh, yes. senatorial yeah I couldn't think of Alabama save my life and you know how do you handle those kinds of digital records I mean that'll be an interesting take as we move forward uh, but I, I it's fascinating but so you 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 are like see I go both ways Jay I have books and bookshelves of books, but I have digital books as well. And anytime I don't think I'm going to move, I like hard copies. But then when I, I think, oh, we're going to move because I've moved a number of times, I think, why do I have all these heavy things? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I understand, you know, it's, it's difficult to house all that stuff, but it's, yeah. Well, anything you'd like to add, Jay? No, I think that's about, that's about it for all for this week. We actually, yeah, went pretty long here without, without Mike, uh, pushing us but well you know i mean we sometimes we get to we get to do these things anyway so be uh before we uh we say goodbye we I just want to remind you of this week's sponsors we've got brooklinen uh and we're going to be asking to try these sheets love these sheets the only way to get $20 off and a free Shipping is to use the promo code TPG at brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com. Promo code TPG, Brooklinen, the best sheets ever. Uh, Also, Bombfell. Bombfell is giving Politics Guys listeners a special offer, $25 off their first purchase. To take advantage of this, go to bombfell.com slash TPG. That's B-O-M-B-F-E-L-L dot com slash TPG. Bombfell. Open and close. And then ZipRecruiter. Uh, find out why more people are using ZipRecruiter in industries of all sizes. And right now, Politics Guys listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash politics guy that's ziprecruiter.com slash politics guy one more time to try it for free go to ziprecruiter.com slash politics guy ziprecruiter the smartest way to hire so i just want to thank all of our listeners for this week and we hope that you'll listen again on wednesday and next week and you hope you enjoyed the show thank you very much